Welcome to the Architect of Change Show with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman & Associates. Now here's Connie. Hi, I'm Connie Whitman, your host, and you're listening to Architect of Change on webtalkradio.net. Thank you for joining me this week. My motivational quote for today is by Bob Proctor, and it says, It doesn't matter where you are. You are nowhere compared to where you can go. How many of you have tried to change a behavior and have just struggled to get the change to stick and or become a good, perhaps even a healthy habit? How many of you are leaders or managers in your organization and have tried to get your team to change behaviors, again, in order to meet your own personal goals as well as, I'm sure, your team uh, corporate goals? So why is changing something that, that we know is so critically important so darn hard to get to stick? Why even when we want to change does it seem to elude us? And, and here's an example. Every logical, logical part of our brain screams for us to follow and abide by example good nutrition, nutritional choices. Yet, we go out, we grab the burger and fries from McDonald's and think to ourselves, well, I didn't supersize it. That's a good choice, right? Well, today my guest, Dr. Art Markman, is going to help us understand the mechanisms of changing behaviors for others and, of course, for ourselves and how to learn that accepting help can be a good thing. Dr. Markman is a professor of psychology and marketing at the University of Texas in Austin and has a new book called Smart Change. So the summer is upon us, and I think Smart Change should go on your summer reading while you have your feet in the sand on the beach. So with that, please help, help me welcome uh, Dr. Art Markman. Oh, Markman. Art, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, it's great to be here, Connie. Thanks so much. Yeah, and, and just for those listening, um, Art and I did a show several months ago. So if, you're, if you like what you hear today, I'd highly recommend, because the topic was, was obviously similar but also very different, I do recommend go to listen to Art's old show. And, again, it, there's a tremendous amount of insight about um, his new book, Smart Change. So let's jump in. What did we get wrong when we try to change other people's behaviors? Because it's hard. Yeah, it is. And, and the funny thing is, we, we all recognize how hard it is to change our own behavior. And I think your examples in the, in the open were perfect, right? I mean, we, you know, we, we eat badly. I mean, it's, you know, lots of people I know are struggling to lose weight. And, and it's not like the formula for weight loss is a secret. We, mm -hmm. just, we just don't do the things we're supposed to do. So we recognize how hard it is for, uh, for ourselves when we're trying to change our behavior. But then we put ourselves in a position where we're trying to influence somebody else's behavior. And immediately we shift. And we shift our focus from doing all of the kinds of things that we have to do to change our own behavior to messaging. If I could just tell you the right thing, somehow that would get you to change behavior. If I could just get you to see it in the right way, if I could just you know, motive, find the right motivating words, that would somehow make it work. And what, what fascinates me about this is that, that actually messaging doesn't work that well at all. I mean, if you think about your own life, how many times have you actually had somebody just tell you something and those words alone 
really affected your behavior completely so that you never went back to the old behavior. Okay, so he, can I can I throw an example out there? Right? Yeah. Cigarette cigarette smoking. On it it says yeah. dangerous to your health. <laughs> yeah. Can kill exactly. you. I think it even says it can kill you. We read that yeah. people continuously buy cigarettes. So that's what you're talking about. Exactly right. Or, or, you know, my favorite example of this, right, just to, just to drive the point home, is, you know, you go, you read the Ten Commandments, right? Excise a couple of them that say, you know, follow this religion rather than that one. Every other thing on that list is do the thing that's right for you in the long term, not the thing that's right for you in the short term. Right, the guy sure. who's annoyed you don't kill him. Uh, sure. You know the the, the don't, you know the the pretty thing somebody else owns don't steal it. The very attractive person married to your neighbor leave him or her alone. You right. know, <laughs> and, and and what's what's fascinating about that list is these are all things that are really hard to do. Right, the Ten Commandments doesn't say you know eat daily, um, breathe regularly. You know, it's it's all the difficult things to do. Even honor your parents, which is a hard one. Right, so so these are hard things to do. And what I like to point out to people is that the Ten Commandments in many ways are a failure in that the human race continues to do all the things that are on that list. And according to the story related to this, right, the, the Ten Commandments was given by, by God, the, the omnipotent, the all-powerful being. And what I'm trying to tell people is if, 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 a, if an omnipotent being can't come down and tell you something and have people listen, what makes any of the rest of us think? That, that we're simply going to tell something to somebody and that's going to change their behavior. It's true because we're not, we're not as powerful as God, or let's, let's assume we're not. That's, I love it. I'm going to use that going forward because that's a great analogy. There you so, go. So what's so, the answer? So we can't, right. So the answer is we have to treat behavior change in other people as being exactly as difficult as changing, as changing our own behavior. And so one of the things that, you know, just to recap something we talked about in the, the last time I was on the show, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, the difficult thing about changing behavior is that you have these brain mechanisms deep in the brain that I like to call the go system because they drive your behavior. Yes. And what, and what happens in that go system is it engages your goals and it learns all these habits of what to do in particular situations that allow you to do all sorts of things mindlessly. And once you learn those habits, the only thing that really stands between you and the behavior you don't want to perform is a couple ounces of brain material above your eyes that I call the stop system that basically tries to stop you from doing something that that ghost system has told you you want to do. So here you are thinking, you know what, I really don't want to eat that Big Mac. Um, and, 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 but the ghost system is really engaged that now, you know, you see a McDonald's and you're, and you're walking towards it. And in that moment, it's very hard to change your behavior. So what you have to do instead is really to engage a lot of, of work in order to, in order to make sure that you do the right thing by reprogramming that ghost system, which means, you know, resolving and not just resolving in a, in a conceptual way, but making this plan to bring your lunch to work and, and to, you know, find people who, who eat the way you want to eat and hang out with them and, and eat with them and, and to, uh, you know, and, and, and to, and to make sure that you keep the foods you don't want to eat as far away from you as possible. So, you know, I, I used to have that love affair with Ben and Jerry's ice cream, keep it out of the house. And, <laughs> And, and all of those things, that's what we do when we change our own behavior. 
Well, that's what we have to do when we're trying to influence other people's behavior as well. So rather than just telling them something, we have to actually re- help people to restructure the environment. If we're thinking about the workplace, for example, you know, a lot of people spend way too much time on email. So we have to help people a little bit. We have to get them to, to shut off that email program for a few hours a day and give them permission to do that and, and, and to set expectations in the rest of the group that if they send an email to somebody, it's not going to be answered right away. And we're doing all that work because we we have to treat this process of behavior change in other people as being really difficult and just as difficult as changing our own behavior. And and I just you're you're cracking me up because you keep saying you know I, I you have to tell them I tell them whenever I do coaching or I or teach coaching to to managers in the class, they'll say to me, I've told them 50 <laughs> times. And, and I always respond, and how's that working out for you? And at some yeah. point, it's the definition of insanity. You're telling them nothing's changing. Should we maybe try something different? So it, you know, I'm laughing. The first time. Yeah, it's, gonna, it's not. You know, I mean, really, it's not. It's like hitting hitting your email, and it's in the loop, and it's in the dead man loop. You think by hitting it again, it's going to work, right? We, we all do it. Right. So that's why I was giggling as you were saying, I tell them, I tell them. So how, now, you speak about helping others change their behavior. And I know in the book you cover that when we help others, it really helps ourselves to change behavior. So just talk a little bit about that for us. Yeah, so, you know, one of the fascinating things about changing behavior is, we, you know, you get on that road of, of making a change in your behavior, and, and at first you might be really motivated to do it, but at some point that, that motivation flags a little bit. You know, so maybe, maybe you've started that exercise program, you've gone to the gym three or four times, you know, maybe even for three or four months, and then at some point, you know, the rest of life starts getting in the way. Sure. One of the great things about helping other people change their behavior is that it, it re-energizes you around those goals. So if you, if you find somebody else who's been struggling to get to the gym and now you, you start helping them, and it does a couple of things. Partly it, it, you know, that social environment really motivates you, but part of it is also you begin to re- realize how far you've come you know you watch somebody else who hasn't been exercising try to try to run and they you know they're able to run a quarter of a mile before their you know their hands are on their knees and you realize wow you know you can go you can go a mile and a half now look how far you've come in that in that short period of time that you've been working and so it it can be really helpful to gauge your progress by working with other people and so you know this is in in the workplace too you know if you think about mentoring um, mentoring helps not just the, pe- the person that you're mentoring, but it actually helps you because it, it really helps you to recognize a lot of the strengths that you've, been, that you've built up. And you know how it is. I mean, you can get really jaded in the workplace after a while. And, and sometimes working with somebody else can help you to see the workplace with fresh eyes and, and give you new enthusiasm for what you're doing. And, and, you know, let's face it, it's flattering when somebody else comes to you and says, you know what, I'd, I'd like to be able to do what you can do. So, so engaging in those relationships with people where you help them to change their behavior, I think, has a, has a real benefit for the person who's helping. You know, it's funny because in the workplace, I, you know, I'm, I'm 54, and I'm, I'm surrounded by a lot of the millennials. I know there's so much talk about it, but here for me is the reality. Um, yeah, are, is their work ethic different than mine or their commitment 
to, to a company different than mine. And I don't know that that's a bad thing, okay? But here's the key or critical piece for me. Um, I have several of them who say to me, Connie, can you mentor me? Can you help me? Can you show me? And I'm like, yeah, but whatever I ask you to do or I give you a deadline, you better do it or I don't have time for you. You know, that kind of thing because I'm so yeah. busy. And they'll commit to that. And then the reverse of that, I'll say to them, but here's the deal. Here's part of the deal. You have to reverse mentor me. So I stay abreast of what's going on with the technology. Don't be afraid to come to me and say, Con, you're doing this. It's outdated. I really think you should be doing that. Because I, I know I don't know what I don't know. They see things in technology because they grew up with it, and, and I didn't. So uh, that yeah. reverse mentoring. And here's the other cool thing. When they say to me something, and it was funny how you, how you presented that, when they'll say to me, Con, I want to be able to do blah, 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 whatever the skill is, and I look at them and I think, oh, like, oh, I am good at that. When did I learn that? How did I get good at that? You stop and think about your own skills and think, holy crap, I have mentored that, uh, I have mastered that over 20 years, 30 years, whatever it is. So yes, that's rewarding because they're saying thank you for your skill, right? Putting, shining a light on it. But the reverse, when I say to them, but here's the deal, I need your help, you have to see them puff up like peacocks because all of a sudden, right, they deem me as an expert with sales or, or coaching or whatever it is and or business, entrepreneurial, um, you know, that kind of vibe. And then they when I turn around and say, but I need your help, it, it's rewarding for them to think, wow, I bring something to the table too, you know, even though I'm early in my career or whatever. So I love, I'm all about mentoring, but I never thought about from helping people change behavior and it holds them accountable, but it holds me accountable too to change. So I, I, oh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I love that whole premise. And anybody who's not doing that, I think you're foolish. So the mentee is, is, is benefit, but the mentor is also benefit. So I, I agree with you 100% on that. What, yeah, and, and, what I, and what, by the way, just to pick up on one thing you said there, because I think it's really important, that idea that, that, that by asking you know, some, somebody who you're mentoring to, to help you as well, you know, one of the things that does is it shines that light on them and says, look, you have skills that, that actually are going to help you quite a bit in the workplace. Because one of the things about staying motivated to change behavior is you've actually got to believe you can succeed. If, if you think that that, that that change in behavior is completely out of your reach, you're just, you're just never going to go for it. And sure. so by highlighting to them the great things that they're bringing to the table in the workplace, what, part of what you're doing is saying, look, I know that you have the skills to succeed at the things that you've started out with. So, so you know, I think, I think by, by pointing that out to them, you're actually helping to enhance that motivation to, to, to make the changes they want to make. And it's cool because they'll say to me, you know, what books have you read and what books do you recommend? And uh, because, of course, right, they want to try to duplicate my success. So it's what you said before. If you're trying to eat healthy, surround yourself with healthy eaters. And it's the same right. thing at work. If you want to be successful, don't hang out with the people who are around the water cooler who try to waste as much time chatting. Be around the successful people. Be around the people who are saying, hey, give me another project. I want to learn. You know, push me. Yeah. Show me. Uh, that's the people you want to be around. So when these young, younger folks come to me and ask for my advice and then say, can you work with me? Uh, you know, you have to send some parameters because I can't mentor the world. 
world. But on the same token, you know, I tell them, listen to the show. I have brilliant people like Dr. Art Markman, Markman and listen to the conversation. Read his book. So they're uh, very engaged, and when someone's engaged, I also think it helps like me or you, whoever it might be that, that are trying to do the mentoring or changing the behavior, it energizes us and makes us more engaged so the whole process actually moves smoother, I, I would think. If that's, that's true yeah. for me, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I think that, that's absolutely right. And, and it also serves, you know, those people who you mentor, then they become people that everybody else, you know, sitting around the water cooler sees as being successful. And, and you know, that becomes contagious too, right? Absolutely. I think, you know, when, when you can help people to, to, to start engaging in really good behaviors in the workplace, those people become signposts for everybody else. And, you know, we're a social species. We, are, we really are wired to do the things that everybody else is doing around us in the workplace. And so, you know, and, and, and in any situation. And so, you know, that, that's another reason to be hanging out with people who are doing the right thing because it, it motivates that goal in yourself. But when you send those mentees back into the workplace and, and they start doing really cool things it makes everybody else sit up and take notice and say you know what maybe that's what I should be doing absolutely uh, it is contagious I agree we have to take a quick break or um, when we come back I want to talk because people are saying yeah but what about the people on my team who you know the dead wood so how do we get those people who don't want to change and will almost fight you for it to get them to open up and listen to the smart people like us so let's take a break and then we'll talk about that a speaker has little value to an audience unless you, the listener, is motivated and empowered to change. Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates is a renowned speaker and is an architect of change. Consultations, training, seminars, and speaking engagements are the venues where she affects change. Whether your responsibilities include customer service, sales, marketing, training, executive management, or ownership, and you are seeking change in your organization, then you need to hire Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Connie doesn't just fill your ears with rhetoric. She speaks to the heart and success of your business. So next time you need to hire a speaker, don't hire someone that just talks. Hire an architect of change, Connie Whitman. Just ask for Connie by calling 732-888-1420. That's 732-888-1420. Or email Connie at WhitmanAssociates.com. We are back and we are speaking with doc, Dr. Art Markman. And we are talking about a, a bunch of really awesome and, and solid information in his book, Smart Change, which I highly recommend for summer reading. So I am a manager. I have people who clearly don't want to change. We talked about the folks who approach me, for example, that are energized, teach me, teach me, teach me. They're little sponges. How about the ones who are like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I want to do that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so there's two things to say there. I mean, the first is you make a really important point, and I always like to tell people whenever we talk about behavior change that the old joke is true. That old joke is how many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> Only one, but the light bulb has to want to change. You know, uh, and, and, and I think there's some truth in that, right? I mean, you know, it's, it, because behavior change is such hard work, you can't get somebody to want to, to make a change and to do that work unless they really want to do it. So when you have somebody sitting there who says, I don't really want to do this, well, you know, that's going to be an uphill battle for you. And, 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 and the very first thing you can do to try to help them 
is is really to make use of dissatisfaction. So it turns out we we like to make people happy in the workplace. We like to we like to make people feel good. But but actually dissatisfaction is really motivating. And so a lot of what you can do with people is to sit down and say, "All right, look, let's make a list. Where are you right now in your work life? What, you know, what are the things you're doing?" Um and then where do you want to be? You know, what do you want to have achieved? You know, and, and by different ages, you know, what, what is your what? What are those those big picture goals that you've got? And really get them to contrast where they are right now in their lives with where they want to be, because what that contrast does is it is it creates dissatisfaction. It says, wait a second, I'm I'm not okay. I'm not where I want to be. I need to be doing things differently. And that's where motivation gets created, is in, is in that gap between where you are right now and where you want to be. And so the, the, really the main thing you can do for people is to help them to recognize that gap and to recognize that they have things they want to achieve. And then one of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to use that gap to get really motivated and to, and to buckle down and get some work done, or they're not. And if they're not, then I think, you know, there's, there's a secondary issue, which is in the workplace, it is not necessarily your job to fix everybody. Yeah. Some people maybe should be working somewhere else, uh, you, you know, in, in an environment where they don't really care how motivated people are. And I'm sure that there are workplaces like that, although I wouldn't want to own stock in those companies. Um, and, and really, you know, at some point when you've done everything you can to really try to influence somebody's motivation, at that point, you know, you may have to take a step back and say, you know what, you may be better suited to a different workplace. That's funny. My, my last slide when I teach coaching is at some point you have to look in the mirror and say, I truly have done everything, tried everything, committed to helping this person that I possibly can. So be a good coach is the point. And at the end, if you can look in the mirror and say, self, I did everything I could, this person clearly choosing, it's a choice, is choosing not to do what needs to be done, what I'm trying to teach them to do. And every step of the way, they're motivated to defy and say, yeah, I'm not going to do that. What are you going to do about it? And you and I know, Art, there's many organizations that were afraid to fire people because of lawsuits and all these other things. So at the last slide of my coaching says, when coaching is over and you look in the mirror and you say, I'm done, now you have to start the disciplinary process and whatever that is for your organization and right. everybody everybody can't be saved everybody shouldn't be saved but as long as you've done your coaching to really that nth degree stop coaching and start the disciplinary process uh, because if people don't want to do the job we need them to do get rid of them because there are other people who are hungry to earn that paycheck and and that's the other thing I hear a lot well they do most of the job I don't care you have people that'll do all of the job is that a negotiation of what you do you do 70% of what I need you to do if that's if they're not fulfilling the job description forget about you know going above and beyond why are you keeping them and, and it, it's making your life easier um, is harder because you can't delegate perhaps or whatever so that logic is out there as well that well they're nice and they're they're good they're they're good employees you know good is the enemy of great I want great employees otherwise you're right I don't want to buy the stock at your company it, it's you know, and, yeah. it's crazy it's crazy well, I, no, I think you're absolutely right. And I, and I think, you know, the other thing is, again, remember, goals are contagious. And, yeah. uh, 
and and the goal to do 70% can be just as contagious as the goal to excel. Yeah. And and I think that when you allow those people who really are committed to doing the minimum amount of work to stay afloat, uh when you allow those people to wander around the office, what you're telling everybody else is that is a successful strategy for staying alive in this company. And yeah. uh and you know, while there are always a certain number of people who have enough pride in their work to say I'm not going to do that, there's a lot of people who look around and say, well, if that's the expectation, well, that's what I'm going to do. And so you, you really can't afford to have folks like that around because, because everyone sees what they're doing. Yeah, and it's, it's obvious, and that becomes the clear culture uh, or message of what is acceptable behavior. So, you know, and, and everybody thinks, oh, you know, there's not that many of them. There's enough that people, and here's, you said something important. There are people who take pride in their work. You know, I, I say, like, that's the top 20% of any organization. You have highly motivated people. They're your high performers. They're always going to be your high performers. Give them a new skill. They're going to master it and, learn, and go up that learning curve rapid fast. That's who they are. That's how they're wired. And then you have that middle-of-the-road people who some of them are going to be affected by the high performers and think, ooh, I think I want to be like them. But then you have the people in the middle-middle who go, well, if I just can survive like these people, I won't get fired. I could take it easy and I could get my paycheck. See, I think we need to push them down to that lower 20% move them out. That's – and yeah. here's – but, all right, honest to God, I, I, I hate – the thought of firing anyone, if you're salvageable and you don't know how to do something, I feel that's why I say to the coaches, it's your job to teach them. You can't just say do the skill and let them flounder. Shame on you as a coach. But if you really right. go out of your way and show them and teach them and, and work with them and role play with them and they still choose like, you know, the old, you know, the, they give you the bird, like I don't care, I don't want to do mm -hmm. this, um, you know, move them out. Why my, yeah. I, another another question? Because we're we're kind of talking about that group and the how we affect each other. Why do so many people really have so much trouble working in groups? Some don't. Some you do. know. Well, yeah, but you know, well, it's a funny thing if you think about education for a second. You know, the fascinating thing about education, to my mind, is that it is that the K to sixteen education experience, right, all the way through college, is really an individual sport. You do your work alone. You are graded alone. You are held individually accountable for all of the for, for everything that you do. And in the age of the helicopter parent, if a teacher gives an assignment that's a group assignment, every parent's on the phone saying, "But how's my kid going to be graded?" Yeah. Now. The funny thing about that is as soon as you get out of school and into the workplace, it shifts because business is not an individual sport. It's a team sport, and, and we're not trained for that. We are, we, are, we are not really ready to work together with other people. We're looking for our own individual grade. And I try to tell people, look, when you go out to work, I don't care how stellar your performance was. If your business fails, you all fail no matter how much good stuff you did. So you've got to find a way to work together with everyone, to share the credit for things, to try to do what you have to do to motivate the people around you at every level of work that you do. It is not enough just to be a stellar individual performer, and yet we haven't practiced those group work skills and, and those skills to reach out to other people and to work together to make the team better. 
And so one of the things we have to do, particularly with younger folks in the workplace, is really to retrain them and to remind them that now they're in an environment in which we succeed only if we succeed. It's not about you succeeding. And, and that's, that, that's a very different way of looking at what goes on in the workplace. Now, you're a professor, so do you try to influence the, the folks that, the young folks that come through your, your classes? Are you, are you big into doing these group projects to try to influence that perspective? Yeah, so I, I am very interested in doing that. I mean, I, you know, I, I bring a lot of, of undergraduates through my research lab and try and, and help get them engaged in projects so that they realize that successful research happens when groups get together and work at things. Uh, I'm putting together a brand new class right now. We, we have a brand new major here at the University of Texas called the Human Dimensions of Organizations, which emerged out of a master's program that we created. And, and we're trying to teach people in the liberal arts about people so that they can go into the workplace and really be experts in, in the human element and so what goes on at work. And my class, my intro class to that is going to have a lot of teamwork in it. You know, we're going to have groups of six who are going to be, who are going to be learning about negotiation and resolving disputes and things like that as a group so that they recognize. And, and so that when students say at the beginning, well, what if I can't get my group to work? Well, you know, part of my, my answer to that is, well, part of being successful uh, in the workplace is getting everybody else to work and getting the job done. Yeah, that should be a big component of the class. You know, it's interesting. Um, we have my husband and I helped uh, two young two young men two young men they're young men they're going into an MBA program, and part of the requirement to be accepted into the MBA program is they had to have business uh, internships. So one of my clients was kind enough to have one of the young men in my husband's company actually working under my husband. They, they allowed for this intern. And it's interesting. My husband comes home every night and says about, now I know the mom, right? So he says, I have to tell you, and the kid's name is Matt. He goes, this kid is amazing. He's, his interpersonal skills, his willingness to learn and do anything we tell him is remarkable. And now I know the other, the boy who is is working for my client his name is Lawrence and again an equally motivated young man it goes back to the home I think to some extent but my husband I think was most taken because you see young kids getting hired into his organization and they don't have good interpersonal skills so when they speak to you they look down they don't make eye contact they're not able to carry on a social conversation um, as well as ask questions from a work perspective, I don't know how to do this, I don't know how to do that. And so my husband is very much taken by this young man, and he keeps coming. Every night he comes home and he goes, the kid's amazing. His interpersonal skills are amazing. His ability to work with uh, another young woman on my husband's team. Uh, so that team building, the, those interpersonal skills are so critical, and we don't give enough value in that. We're not teaching our kids how to get up in public speak. I don't know, in college, I, I know my son, he's, he's just finished his freshman year, they have to take one public speaking class. I don't know what is it in your university. I'm curious. Yeah, it, well, it depends. They get they get they have to take a rhetoric class here where they where they have to learn to write, and some of those uh, have some presentation work as well. But depending on the major you're in, you may get very little experience getting up in front of a group, particularly in the yeah. more technical fields. Yeah. And yeah, no, I, I mean the the fact is that that 
technical skills matter. It's important. You know, I'm a big fan of STEM education and all that. But, but the fact is that, that there's a tremendous amount we learn about writing. There's a tremendous amount we learn about, about public performance. And I don't necessarily mm-hmm. mean that all of us need to be trying to, 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 to uh, create Oscar-caliber performances in the workplace. But you have to be able to hold a conversation with people. You have to be able to, to speak in a way that transmits information clearly and that is motivating and that captures the excitement that you have for the things that you're most passionate about in your life. Because if you can't do that, then the organization as a whole suffers from that. And, and that is so, such an important part of influencing the behavior of other people is, is getting people to understand that it's actually okay to have energy behind the work you're doing. You know, we, we, do have, we, we do live in a somewhat cynical era in which yes. people are not sure whether they're supposed to commit to the work they're doing. And really, what we need people to understand in every workplace is if you're here, you're all in. And, and, yeah. that's, and you communicate that in part by the way that you talk to people by the excitement that you bring to the discussions that you have with people at work. And people will be energized by your energy and enthusiasm. It's contagious. I mean, like you said before, when people are kind of bleh, I mean, that could be contagious as well. We need to repel that and be energized by the people at work who are energizing and who are passionate and enthusiastic about their topic. And that's how you really get things done. And that's how you get people to buy into your ideas. Because if you passionately believe it, they're going to look at you and say, wow, maybe he's on to something or she's on to something. Uh, because they're feeling you're, it's a contagion, it's a good contagion, and it is true, we're cynical, which is kind of tragic, and, you know, you look at the news and everything that's going around, and I still choose to believe that humans are good, (laughs) you know, I know at times that's hard to believe, but I still, I still choose to believe that, um, you know, every day I see kindness all around me, and I, I would, I'd rather focus on that, and helping people than, you know, what's in it for me. And I think most of us look at the what's in it for me. So just to circle back, because we are actually out of time, Art, it just goes so fast, uh, these shows. But if we can develop and create these wonderful teams and change other people's behavior, our behavior um, is affected equally, if not even more significantly. And it's a win-win all around. And I think we, we as individuals, we as leaders in the community, we as leaders in our organizations, um, it really is our responsibility to drive that energy and, and help people create what needs to be created in these organizations so businesses thrive and not struggle to survive. Um, it's kind of sad. So here's the bottom line, everybody listening. And Art, I think they should just go out and buy your book and read it this summer and, you know, kick it into high gear when they get back to work. Sounds like a a perfect plan to me. (laughs) I know, I think so. So here's the deal, everybody. Check out, I'm going to give you uh, Art's website, and they can get the book on the website too, right? There are are links there to, to various places where you can pick up the book, yeah. Okay, cool. So go to www.smartthinkingbook.com, all lowercase, all connected. So it's www.smartthinkingbook.com. And no worries if you're driving, listening to the show. I know I commute with a lot of people. I will post 
or its link right on the web talk radio platform. You guys can click and go, man. Easy purchase um, so that you, get, you have some summer reading. Also, email me because you know I'd love to hear from everybody. Uh, share your thoughts on the show. I love that. Or if you need help personally or at your organization or uh, there's topics you'd love me to cover on the show, tr trust me, I will find people. Go to email me directly at Connie at Whitmanassos.com. Uh, again, it's W H I T M A N A S S O C dot com and Connie at, or go to my website, www.whitmanassos.com. A ton of free resource there. All the shows are archived there as well. So you could go back and listen to Art and my show the first time. That was a really good show, too, Art. I think we covered a ton in that one as well. Yeah, no, that was a lot of fun. And, and we went yeah. over a lot of what you need to do to change your own behavior. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, both sides by the book. It, it really is a guide to success, in my opinion. Um, Art, thank you again just for being such a, an inspiring and thoughtful guest. I think your information is actually usable. <laughs> you know, people can listen to this show and go back and use it, and to me that's very impactful uh, content, and I'm always looking for impactful content. So thank you for that. Well, thanks, Connie. It was great to talk to you again. As always, a pleasure. You guys, you've been listening to Architect of Change with me, your host, Connie Whitman, on webtalkradio.net. Thank you so much. Go out, have an inspired week, and start to use these tools that I highlight on the show. Um, the the um, arts book, Smart Change, is just one of the many. Be inspired, everyone. Thanks. <laughs> You've been listening to The Architect of Change with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Thank you for tuning in. We're glad you were here. Stop.